Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Friday, February the 10th in the year of our Lord, 2020 what? 2023. Wow, we're almost at Christmas. Doesn't take long, does it? What we're going to do today is talk a little bit about yesterday's program uh, that we had with Jehovah Witnesses. And it was very interesting because there had been a call to my good friend who talked to the Jehovah Witnesses, and we were talking about a number of things which they believe. Now, why do you need to know about what Jehovah Witnesses believe? You need to know because if they come to your door, you should be looking for their false teaching. For example, you may not believe this, but they believe that peace will come here on earth to such a degree that people will live here on earth forever under Jesus Christ because of the peace that he brings. That flies in opposition to what Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Because the kingdom he is believing in and he has organized for us is the kingdom of God. And there are three kingdoms of God that we are aware of from the Bible. There's first of all the kingdom of God here on earth, which we call the kingdom of believers. Israel in the Old Testament, the Holy Christian Church in the New Testament. Then there's another kingdom of God when you die. Your spirit immediately goes to heaven, but your body goes in the ground. That's called the interim, but you are still in the kingdom of God in the spirit in heaven with Jesus until judgment day when your body is restored to your spirit and you live in that third kingdom of God, which is God's heaven, where there is perfect bliss, no sin, no sickness, no death, and communion all the time with Jesus Christ. Now, Jehovah Witnesses do not believe that Jesus is God. They reinterpret the Bible to say that Jesus was a creation of God. And so they keep saying there's nowhere in the Bible that Jesus says he is God, which is kind of interesting because I think yesterday on the program, I mentioned that John had said, my Lord and my God. It was really Thomas who said that on the night of the resurrection. Jesus appeared to the disciples, and Thomas wasn't there on the night of the resurrection, but a week later, he was present. And when he saw Jesus, he replied to him as my Lord and my God. Jesus did not contradict Thomas. He did not tell him, oh, don't call me God, because I am not God. 
No, he accepted the title of God that Thomas had given him. In fact, you don't have to go to the New Testament to find that Jesus was God. There's a very, very enlightening passage in Exodus chapter 3. It says, Moses was watching the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. As he led the flock beyond the wilderness, he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, we later realize that's Mount Sinai. And the very next verse, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire coming out of a bush. Now, who is the angel of the Lord? It's very interesting that when we talk about an angel of God, he's not referred to as the angel of the Lord, but the word angel means a messenger from God himself. And we believe, teach, and confess that that angel was the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Now, we can prove that from the text. Moses saw the bush burning without being burned up. I'm going over there, Moses said, to see this wonderful sight. Why doesn't the bush burn up? Then it says, when the Lord saw he had come over to see it, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. So here's the angel of the Lord calling to Moses, and he answers, yes. And the angel of the Lord says, don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet because you are standing on holy ground. Then listen to verse 6 of chapter 3. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And it's that point when God tells Moses that he should go to Pharaoh and bring Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says, how am I able to do that? And God says, I am with you, and you will serve God on this mountain when you leave Egypt. And so Moses says, when I go to Israel, and tell them the God of your father sends me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I answer them? And then verse 14, I am who I am. God answered Moses, and then he added, tell Israel, I am sends me to you. Tell Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, sends me to you. Go and tell the elders, this is my title for the people of all coming generations. Tell them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, he said, I am very much concerned about you and how you're treated in Egypt. Then the Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with Moses. And so this is very clear that Jesus is considered to be God. He gives Moses his name. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and so it's not just in the New Testament that Jesus is referred to as God, but he does things in the Bible that only God can do. Nobody can still a storm on a sea and stop the waves from crashing into the boat. But that's what Jesus did when he stood on the Lake of Galilee in a boat and calmed the sea and the waves. That's really important to remember. So Jesus Christ definitely is also God. And that's where we get that wonderful, wonderful teaching of what? The Holy Trinity. In fact, you find this also in the book of Revelation. John, who wrote Revelation, he's talking to an angel. And I heard and seen him. And John says, I bow down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed these things to me. And what does the angel say? Be careful, don't do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of the other Christians, the prophets, and those who keep what this book says. Don't keep secret what the prophecy of this book tells you. And then Jesus speaks to John. I am coming soon and will have my reward with me. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they have the right to the tree of life and go through the gates into the city. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to tell you these truths for the churches. I am David's descendant and the bright morning star. I warn everyone who hears what the prophecy of this book tells him. If you add anything to this, God will add to you the plagues written in this book. And if you take away any words in this book of prophecy, God will take away your share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. He who spoke 
these truths says, yes, I am coming soon. And the book ends, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all his holy people. Amen. And so what we learned yesterday is the Jehovah Witnesses take passages from the Bible and do with them what the devil did in the Garden of Eden. He misquotes the Bible and he changes the words of the Bible. That's why it's very important to follow the Reformation principle. Scripture interprets Scripture. And, and that's why the thinking that is found in Jehovah Witnesses is not the thinking of God. It's rather the thinking of unbelieving people. What did the Jehovah Witnesses say about why did Jesus die? Why did he die? It's very clear. They believe he died for a very simple reason. Jesus died so that humans could have their sins forgiven and receive endless life. Jesus' death also proved that a human can remain loyal to God, even faced with the severest of tears. In other words, Jesus was always human, and therefore he's telling us that we, as humans, might be able to do the same things that he did. Jesus became obedient to the death, thus proving that a human could be faithful to God under any test or trial. That's because Jesus was God. So they answer the question, why did Jesus have to suffer and to die? Because God's law states that the wages of sin is death. Rather than hide this law from Adam, God told them that the penalty to disobedience would be death. Although sinful humans deserve the penalty of death, God extended to them the riches of his undeserved kindness, his provision to redeem mankind, sending Jesus as a perfect sacrifice was both profoundly just and extremely merciful. They're still referring to Jesus as a human being. And therefore, how did he die? Although many believe that Jesus was crucified, executed on a cross, the Bible reports his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Bible writers use two Greek words to refer to the instrument of Jesus' execution. One concluded that these refer, words refer to a beam or an upright stake 
made of one piece of wood. And so how are we to remember the death of Jesus from the Jehovah Witness point of view? On the night of his annual Jewish Passover, Jesus instituted a simple procedure with his followers. Keep doing this in remembrance of me. Now, what they're referring to is, of course, Holy Communion. But they don't consider it a sacrament. They just consider it something to be remembered. Now, I'm going to use the subject a little bit, but it fits in with what I just said. I love looking at YouTube. There are many good movies. I like detective movies. I like watching pool, billiards, games like that. But I've also found farm machinery to be interesting because I didn't realize how busy a farmer is in keeping his machinery in good shape and his crops growing properly. But one other item I'm now looking at, and you can look at it on YouTube, you just type in women pastors preaching. That's right. Uh, for example, yesterday, I listened to a 17-minute sermon done by a so-called woman pastor. There were six false teachings in that sermon, which she preached. I'll share with you two of them. But it is something that I am saying that women have to be false teachers if they think they're pastors, because God makes very clear that the role of being a pastor is for males, not for females. Now, why God did that, I don't know. But it's very clear in the Bible that only males can be preachers, pastors, and only females can have babies. Now, there are some males who are trying to become female, but they won't have a baby. So God has set up these categories. Now, why do you know that when you listen to a woman pastor, you are going to be hearing false doctrine? Because they are false teachers in the sense that they are going against God's will to becoming a pastor. They think they're a pastor. I was at a grocery store, and I was leaving it, getting ready to get into my car, when a friend of mine, she's a woman, came up to me and said, Hi, how you doing? I said her name and said, Doing good. What's going on with you? And she looked at me and she said, Guess what? I said, What? I am a pastor, she said. I looked at her and I said, no, you're not. Now, she thought I meant that I didn't really believe her that she was a pastor. So she tried to explain that in the church she attended, they decided to make her a pastor and did so in one of the services. I still got across to her 
No, you're not a pastor. You imagine yourself to be a pastor, but God's word does not recognize you as a pastor. You're a false teacher if you're a pastor. So she wasn't very happy with our conversation and I haven't spoken with her since. But what happened on the program I was watching, the, the first false teaching this woman so-called pastor said was that you must kind of make a decision. It is by your will that you invite Christ into your heart. Now, all you have to do is realize that an unbeliever is an unbeliever. Nobody who's an unbeliever would ever ask Jesus to come into their heart. By the time that you want him in your heart, it's because he's already there. Because through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been granted faith to believe the promises of Jesus. And you're very, very happy to hear that. What was the other false teaching she had? In the church over which she was pastor, they had what she considered to be the Lord's Supper every week. But it was not the Lord's Supper. I'll explain why. She said, and this is probably what she was taught, that in the early church, Jesus had gone to visit Matthew, the Levite, who was also a tax collector. And Matthew invited him into his house, and they had a meal with other tax collectors. She went on to say that the meal consisted of a big bowl of soup, and everybody had a piece of bread, and they would keep dipping their bread in the soup and the same soup and then eating it. And she said that made them one. Jesus won with the tax collectors and the tax collectors won with Jesus. And then she took that and said that's what Holy Communion is about, is when we come forward and receive what we receive, we are becoming one with Jesus. There was no mention of the forgiveness of sins that Jesus himself says is occurring when you receive the Lord's Supper. There was no mention that through the body of Jesus, and his blood, we receive that body and blood in, with, and under the bread and the wine. No, she was silent on that. And therefore, she invited everybody in the church to come forward and take the Lord's Supper. Has she not read 1 Corinthians 11, where those who take the Lord's Supper without understanding that this is the body and blood of Christ, that they were getting sick and some were even dying, that is the results of a congregation 
that does not practice close or closed communion. What do we mean by that? I just had a conversation with a visitor to our church who wants to go through adult instruction. And I told him that he would have to wait to receive the Lord's Supper until after the adult instruction so he could understand what we mean by taking the Lord's Supper. Because if he did so without proper understanding, he might get the idea that by his works, he was being saved, which is something we did not really emphasize yesterday, that Jehovah Witnesses believe that they are saved by their works, by their goodness. And that's what's going to bring peace on earth, that the more that they are peaceable with others, then the kingdom of heaven will take place here on earth, not in another place called heaven. This is what Jehovah Witnesses teach. And that's why they encourage their members to obey the will of God in order to bring the kingdom of God here on church. No, the kingdom of God you are already in because you have received the peace of God and the forgiveness of sins. So I'm not saying don't listen to Jehovah Witnesses or women pastors. Remember that there are a lot of women who do teach and do wonderful jobs. I had some of the best Sunday school teachers um, a pastor could have. They could teach the younger children better than I could. So there is a place for women teaching. It's just they cannot hold the pastoral office. And when you read the Bible, you will understand that. And you will also understand why Jehovah Witnesses are not telling God's word properly. I'm Tom Baker, and thank you for listening to today's session. You'll learn more about Law and Gospel on Monday when we are looking at a Bible passage to show you the importance of keeping the proper distinction between the law, which accuses us of sin, and the gospel, which proclaims we are forgiven. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.
Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.